no, no plunder on TV will ever get a job again. <laughs> Dumb and dumber, I'd call it. Uh, okay, yes. Um, <laughs> we're back. And uh, what our episode is going to be. We've just found out uh, that our guest who's coming on the show today has, hasn't even listened to one of our podcasts before. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> but alas, we'll continue on. Uh, this is On His Touch with Wilby and Woodson. I'm Woodson. I'm Wilby. And today our special guest is... Max. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, Max Rezik, uh, Arsenal and Dinamo Zagreb fan. And yeah, we're going to talk all things European Soccer League, uh, Super League, oh God, European Super League today. And just what, it, uh, it, despite the fact that it's now potentially not going to happen anymore as the six Premier League clubs have already decided to drop out, but uh, what it was going to be, um, how it was going to, how it came about and just sort of our general opinions and thoughts towards it. Anyway, so <laughs> what have what have you got? What have, what have you not sorted out? No. no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, it was announced on Sunday night European time, but sort of uh, very early Monday morning uh, our time. The twelve founding quotation marks uh, teams were going to be breaking away uh, to form their own European Super League. Uh, it was planned to have 20 total teams uh, with 15 founding teams locked in without relegation for 20 years. Uh, five teams would be invited to join each season uh, based on performance in previous uh, from the previous season. Uh, the, the competition would consist of two 10-team groups to play each other home and away during a group stage. The eight best teams would qualify for the quarterfinals and then it would be a home and away leg knockout system until the final. And... It was a three point five billion dollar euro billion euro uh, investment potentially uh, that would potentially be boosted to four billion euros uh, by broadcasting deals that will be split between the founding teams. Funded by J P Morgan. Yeah, funded by the American bank J P Morgan, which makes it no, uh, no surprise that. Oh, uh, actually going to be funded. Yeah, J P Morgan. We're going to do it, but also at the same time, is it Ed Woodward, the head of uh, Man U? The one who's yeah, just he was resigned. Chief executive. So he used to work for J.P. Morgan, and he was brought in as an accountant for uh, Manu early on, and then they poached him from J.P. Morgan. So there's obviously roots there that go back. Yeah, yeah and also like J.P. Morgan's an American American bank, and four of the six uh, Premier League clubs that we're going to join uh, that the six Premier League clubs in question are the new top six, I guess, in, uh, quote unquote. Uh, this is Tottenham, Arsenal. Don't know how they were in there. Uh, Chelsea, City, Liverpool, and United. But yeah, four of the four of the six owners of those teams, uh, that be it uh, Arsenal, Liverpool, United, and Tottenham, have American owners. So again, no real surprise that an American bank was going to bankroll this tournament. Uh, but one one thing that it has come and came under heavy criticism for was the fact that the Super League represents pretty much a, a fundamental break in the pyramid system that is. Uh, used around Europe in all the European leagues and especially in England uh, which basically ensures that any team through on-pitch success can reach top prizes in top European competitions and this is why it was considered somewhat of a a death of football because that sort of uh, competition had been taken away by this uh, closed shot format. 
So yeah, um, initial thoughts when it happened. Well, yeah, it's just obviously the Americans like tr- trying to impose their sort of system on it, and like like you've said up there, it's like taking the worst of. Like the the fact that in in the European soccer leagues there's no like draft to to level out the teams and then to put it into that sort of franchise system where there's no relegation from it is just completely destroying all competition and everything that's basically interesting about winning the Champions League. Really? Yeah. Look, I think the concept of like a a European Super League has been around since like the early 1990s and like when I was looking it up. Well, the Champions League was founded in 1992. Yeah, but an actual Super League where these guys play as if it's Serie A, but it's across Europe, has been around since the early 1990s. And I think it's interesting to think about why did this finally get so far this time around? And it's probably the post-COVID environment where all these clubs are in debt up to their neck and are trying to find an easy way out. Something I've got written down here is like, yeah, a big part of it was A, COVID, but B, also... uh, for at least the Premier League uh, and all the other teams were in a substantial amount of debt because of the exorbitant wage bills that have been a more and more of a common thing. But yeah, it's definitely to your point. But also, one of the big narratives, and this is something I haven't looked at as much, it seems that these major clubs felt that they were getting disrespected by UEFA and their domestic leagues and not getting their fair share of revenue and not really uh, appreciating the, the revenue split among the other teams. But that's just bullshit, though. Like, what what entitles you to this revenue? Like, Arsenal, the owners of Arsenal saying, oh, we're entitled to this amount of revenue. It's like, we're fucking ninth. Yeah. Like, we're, we're in no way entitled to any sort of recompense by, like, a monetary gain because we, we haven't earned it. Yeah. yeah. Everton, like, Everton are more deserving of most, being in the Super League this year. Most teams, apart from... City and Chelsea, like, United haven't been, you know, a, a shoo-in for, for Champions League football. Tottenham definitely hasn't. Um, Arsenal definitely hasn't in, in recent times. It's just... And even know. Liverpool up until a couple of years ago haven't. Yeah, like, exactly. Liverpool, like Like, recently, yes, they've got the coach and they've sorted it out, bought a bunch of players, but, like, for 20 years, they well, not 20, for, like, 10 years after, in that little lull, they were nowhere near it. Yeah. And this is the idea, right? Like, we are all outraged by this concept, for a number of reasons, like destroying tradition, taking the clubs away from fans, ending domestic competitions, which we watch every weekend at 3am in the morning. Um, and I think the main reason which you can use to sort of summarise all these concerns is inequality. Like it's inequality of these big clubs and us against their mentality where the big clubs are saying we want more revenue and the small clubs are saying we need that revenue in order to make our product viable and presentable. And, you know, like many of the world's rich businesses and uh, individuals, whatever, when they they can't accept that the way to solve these issues is rather uh, reduce the inequality. And here, the Super League example is they're just going to remove themselves from the inequality and make it more even amongst themselves. So it's kind of an example of like capitalism at at its finest, right? In order for a big club to... To, to win trophies, you need investment banks and millionaires. And look at the owners, right? We've got Arab kings and princes. We've got Roman Abramovich, the guy from Newcastle, who's the UK billionaire who owns, like, ProDirect. He doesn't own ProDirect. We've, we've talked about this off air before. Oh, what's his... <laughs> he what, owns what is, Sports Direct. Sports Direct. <laughs> you know, to finance it. And all of these institutions have one objective, which is to get richer in the bottom line. Yeah, so and how can we got be surprised? The Glazers, who That's are Man United's true. owners, who own the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and uh, Stan Kroenke, who owns Arsenal, who is who owns the Los Angeles Rams, both 
billion dollar NFL franchises. Yeah, and then you've got clubs like, you know... And And then, yeah, Liverpool's owners who own the Boston Red Sox. Yeah, and then there's clubs like, you know, earlier this year, there was the story coming out that Newcastle were going to get bought by a billionaire owner from, I think it was Saudi Arabia or one of these companies, and the EPL said no. And you can imagine the reason the EPL said no is because the major clubs who have such an influence were like, we don't want another club being up there in that group and potentially kicking us out of a Champions League spot and all the revenue that comes with that. Yeah. And this and this actually comes down to a point that was tossed around a lot recently, something that me and you have touched on before, Wilbur, is that teams like West Ham and Leicester recently have been threatening the big six. There's a reason, and, and you know, even Aston Villa at the moment are, are ahead of Arsenal and uh, Leicester and West Ham are ahead of uh, Tottenham and Liverpool. And it's just like... These big, like the the American owners of these big six clubs, have sort of been like, "We're this big club. What? Why? Do, why aren't we in the Champions League every year? Every year, earning all the earning the money that we're supposed to earn in the Champions League? Because the amount of money that you earn in the Champions League, while it's not as much as the European Super League, is a ridiculous amount. And so they thought, well, screw this. We're this huge, big budget team. We're not going to let some little team take up take the money that we're we're for whatever reason entitled to. And they. And they're like, oh, okay, we're just going to cut out the competition and make our own thing. Yeah, especially the, the Glazers at United. I mean, the, in, in recent history, United have just been, you know, completely fallen off a cliff in, in, in terms of, like, winning trophies and, and being in the Champions League. And from a business standpoint, it's, it's obviously terrible. So, yeah. 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 And, and then, so, moving on to, uh, sort of to, what the, like, the funding breakdown of the Super League, which is something that I found, like, like there was, like... When it was announced, people like Florentino Perez, the president of Real Madrid and stuff, were like, oh, it's going to help the broader football community and like the teams, there's going to be 15 teams locked in there, but the five teams that get introduced into it, they're going to, they're going to you know, uh, get uh, reap the rewards of the, the, the revenue that the Super League get, generates and stuff. And I was a bit sceptical of that to begin with. But then after a bit of research, I found that the 15th uh, of the... billion billion euro investment that could potentially see to be four to four and a half billion uh, euros. The 15 founding clubs would share in 32.5% of the commercial revenue and a further 32.5% of the revenue would be distributed distributed, um, between the uh, 20, 20 participating teams, which again, already I'm like, so, so, wait, wait, so, so that's more again. Yeah, so that's that's, that's more teams. again, more again going to the fifteen teams, but then also that would include the five invited clubs as well. Yeah. So essentially, you've got over sixty percent of the revenue going to the fifteen founding teams, and then like a small amount of that going to the five invited clubs, and then twenty yeah. percent of the revenue would be allocated based on merit or dependent on performance in the competition, and then fifteen percent uh, of the final fifty percent would be shared based on broadcast audience size, which again is unfairly skewed towards the bigger teams because the, the teams that get invited to, to the Super League every year would obviously have a smaller broadcast size because they're not these huge teams. Yeah. So it's already unfair. The money, the money that would be split up in the Super League is already just going to be circulated around the founding teams and just un, not fairly shared at all. I love this... Um. What is it, Florentino Perez guy? He's the one who's at Real Madrid. Yeah, right? it's the worst. Yeah, because he's, 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 so he's been he's been kind of the, the the ringleader of this, right? And he's yeah. the one who's been making statements, and he seems like someone who's got a pretty big ego because yeah. he'd have to be to know 
that this is the response he'd get. And it was funny when... Because all this happened pretty fast on our time, right? Like, there were statements being released every, like, hour. Uh, so it was hard to keep up. But when Man City announced that they were going to withdraw, I think they were the first team to withdraw. And then Chelsea were going to... said that they were intending to withdraw. There was, like, a tweet that was put out on, like, a f- fake Florentino Press account as in a response from him. <laughs> and it was like, we don't care about them. We'll make our own Man City in Chelsea. And I was like, look, he could have probably said that. Like, I'm not surprised. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, Florentino Perez has proved over the past few days to just be completely tone deaf just as his, to what the majority of fans want. Like, like his, his, his arguments about, like, the lost, lost revenue recently in, in terms of like, people not, like, subs- like w- watching these games is just, like, completely due to... To COVID and, and, and not having the fans there. Yeah, because like one of his quotes like was that um, uh, the top clubs in Spain and England are coming to conclusions about fixing football. Madrid alone lost four hundred million euros, and nothing was being done about that. And he's th- he's saying this is down because football is not interesting anymore. He's like the Super League will generate more money; it's more attractive. Manchester v Madrid or Milan versus Barca will be more attractive than Manchester versus a smaller team. And it's just like, it's just like. He's regardless of that last point. Like the reason footballing teams have been making less money over the past year is because there has been no f- fans in stadiums. And fans in stadiums, I don't have the exact facts in front of me, but uh, I've looked it up before. Contribute to like more than half of what, yeah. a, or, like two thirds of what a football team makes year in year out. Like s- ticket prices alone, and that, and that are, 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 are like more than half. Comes that with uh, merchandise. Well, the merchandise would have also gone down because everyone's sitting at home. Why would you buy the new jersey? Yeah, like, you, like people, and, people and buy merchandise people, on the way to the games, and you wouldn't watch it online either because it's less interesting when there's no fans in there. Like, exactly, that, yeah. that would also decrease. An interesting point to all this, and this is something I've just sort of considered: is these clubs are screaming out that they need this more revenue. Um, but they haven't outlined what would happen if they didn't get this revenue. Like, it's not like these clubs are going to have to start selling all their star players. Like, Perez is, as I said, the ringleader of this. And Real Madrid are three points within the head of La Liga right now and have won their last four games. So I don't really know... Like, is it just a money grab so that they can buy more players? Like, what, what are it's we It's a money grab because they just want more money. Rich people just want more money. That's the end. Like, billionaires just want to stay billionaires. Because it's not a product issue. Like, one thing, say, if Arsenal was say, you know, out there saying, we want to join this because we can't afford to sign players. But you can't tell me a club like Madrid can use that justification. Because, as I said, they've I mean, got... you can't really tell me that Arsenal can afford to do that anyway because yeah. Stan Kroenke is a billion-dollar owner. He can afford it. If, if, if he wanted to spend... I don't, money, I don't want to if, talk about Arsenal. Yeah, if Stan Kroenke wanted to spend the money like Abramovich spends on Chelsea, because Chelsea, uh, if you look at it, are actually uh, out of all the clubs that joined it, uh, they're actually the ones, the only ones that are not in the red debt wise. They're actually, and they just spent like 150 but, but, million on three players. But, but that's yeah. because they're in debt to Abramovich. Abramovich is uh, yeah. isn't in debt, but they're in debt to Abramovich. Yeah. So like, therefore, Abramovich is like he can like cut his losses at any point, and Chelsea are fine. Because it was talking about he's, 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 he's done that. Abramovich, the way Abramovich has run Chelsea is so incredibly efficient, and I, I rate it. I wish we had no that could run out. Because he spends really, he spends crazy money on players, but somehow still breaks, almost breaks even or makes a profit. It, that's another story. There was talk day. about him selling the club earlier this season. There, wasn't there some speculation? I mean, there's speculation like, every couple of years when their results go down or whatever that he might sell. But like, I, I, it, it, Chelsea. He's a cash cow that's too valuable for him to sell, I reckon. It's his biggest business venture. Um, one thing I, I would like to comment on, uh, which is just like going back to Perez's, like how he's being like so tone deaf, was he said um, 
16 to 20 year old fans of and fans of that age uh, don't have an interest in football football needs to adapt to uh, the new generations now and then if you saw this morning the live videos of the Chelsea fans around the stadium Stanford celebrating Bridge, yeah. it, I'm pretty sure 90% of the fans celebrating were in that age demographic yeah. <laughs> those photos were awesome yeah it's really great to see but it's just like it's just like he clearly has no idea who like what fans especially that age want and I think he may have got they might be his, in China yeah I think he may he may he may have got his metrics from people who pay for uh, TV broadcast rights but people between the ages of 16 to 24 the vast majority of them illegally stream games or go to the pub to watch games I just still think that these are all justifications to hide their narrative that mm. it is only about the revenue like these yeah. people in order to get to the position of being a club owner or a billionaire the only thing you can care about is revenue on the bottom line. Yeah. And to think that these guys, as soon as they buy a club, all of a sudden care about the fans or the tradition is nonsense. But, they, but this is this is where they went. This is where they went so wrong. Is like, there's there's a chance this Super League might have come been able to come to fruition if it was, brought to the broader fan com- broader fan community of all these clubs and it was uh, the fans had an input in like uh, how the tournament was sort of loosely run. And stuff like that, and like, or just even just like fans are allowed to sort of sit on it for a while and get used to the idea. But the fact that they just like cold slapped it down on them with no warning, it was it was just it was just like and and didn't even consult the players, the coaches, the fans, anything. It was just like it was never going to work from the outset because they just had no idea. And this is especially I think the Americans even more so. The Americans just had no because they don't really like know what football is about. Mm-hmm. They had no idea what how the fans were going to react because they don't really know how football is tri- how football is perceived in Europe. I think because it was obviously organised so poorly, with no one being on board, not one pundit was positive about this, that I can only imagine it was used, or their idea was to never make a go forward this time around, and just use it as a bargaining chip for when they're discussing the reallocation of revenue from their domestic and UEFA Champions League and Europa League next time round. Like, I'm not sure if it's, you know, TV rights or the winnings of those competitions, but I really feel, just because of how poorly they pursued it and it all went down, that they must have never had the intention of it actually going through this, at, this, at this point. I think, I think a, a, a few pundits were saying that, but I think maybe they didn't... They, they didn't um sort of calculate how badly it would be received because because uh, i think maybe that might have been the case if they brought it up and it wasn't quite as like stamped on so harshly and then they could have used it as a bargain shit but i think now they're in a bad position because they're back down from probably contracts that they've written up with other clubs and that and and the the way the european super league more broadly but yeah and look it, it, it's hard you, you, also you say that um this is actually a really good point that you've made that like it's a bargaining chip. <laughs> you got me on for a reason. <laughs> that you say it's, uh, it could be a bargaining chip for domestic leagues to change or even the UEFA to change their Champions League format because under the sort of weirdly timed under the veil, I'm not sure if they were planning to announce this format anyway at this time, but like while all this has been going over the, on over the past two days, the Champions League has UEFA has actually announced the new format for the Champions League to be rolled out in 2024-25 season. Uh, it'll take the total number of teams from 32 to 36, 
and the biggest change will see a transformation from the traditional group stage to a single league stage, in, including mm. all participating teams. Every club will now be guaranteed a maximum of 10, 10 league stage games wow. against 10 different opponents, five home, five away, rather than the previous six matches against three teams played home and away basis. Dinamo's <laughs> going up, mate. Dinamo's going up. Really? That's, yeah, that's huge. Uh, and then the top eight sides in the league will qualify automatically for the knockout stage, while the teams finishing ninth to 24th place will complete a two-legged playoff to secure their path. Uh, okay. to the last of 16 com- uh, of the competition. Uh, similar format changes will also happen in the Europa League. And uh, I'm not... I, I don't have it on, I don't have it written down in front of me, but there's also... I'm pretty sure with this new format, there will be a new sort of way that money is... Uh, distributed. Taken from the poor, given... <laughs> Yeah, Robin Hood and uh, uh, um, is a new way that um, money is distributed throughout the tournaments that uh, the, the players that are in the tournament, the leagues, clubs. Fuck, I can't talk. <laughs> the clubs that are in the tournament, and um, it'll be. I think there's some rumor that it'll like certain clubs will get money based on like their historic merit or something like that. But even even the Which idea of the league, really, right? yeah, yeah, even the idea of the league. Like, A, what you've just described to me sounds what I would expect the, the Super League to look yeah. like. That's no, no, that's not what the Super League was. Yeah. Like. And, and two, I'm disappointed because I love the group stage. I love seeing the group of death every every year and seeing, all right, so we've got Dortmund, PSG and, you know, Arsenal in a yeah, group. Only true. two can go through. Whereas also, it's a league, it's also, not the same. It's also, it's, it's also yeah, like... What's, what's the point of this change? More games, it's more money. That's more games, sure, yeah. more games, more money, and also, yeah, and I uh, see. So it's it, like we're okay with capitalism to an extent, yeah, but not well, the full. Well, way. This is this is the whole problem, and if it, there's like, like surely some checks have to come. And I think like Gary Neville was talking about this that he apparently been working for s- some sort of independent regulator mm. to put some, to put some checks yeah. on this, you know, on on this capitalism that's kind of, kind of ruining football, I suppose. Um, but yeah, if, if 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 no checks get put in place, then it's just gonna it's just gonna keep on heading into in, in this European Super League direction because you, I I don't think every time you, you can rely on this ground swell of support. Yeah, like, no way. And I just like think something has to change. But that's sure. the thing because like it's a really fine line you've got to tread because Gary Neville is who's I think who has been the best opinion on this from a pundit I've seen he says there obviously needs to be money in football because you want to pay the best players the big money to uh, get them to play in the premier competitions that's fine to an extent but it's like where big pardon where do you draw the line between paying these players this amount and so they play in the big league and stuff and having stuff like the super league because stuff like paying the players to, to more to get them in the leagues that you want means that more money out of the pockets of the teams that are paying them, which means it puts them in debt, which means that they want, they're want they more attracted to ideas of things, stuff like the Super League. So it's a really difficult sort of balancing act that it, like the entire European footballing world has to play. Yeah, and I don't, th- I don't think you can re- re- really balance it, un- unless there's some sort of like le- legislation that, that puts, it, puts a check on it. It's just going to keep on heading towards that Super League sort of direction. Yeah. Anyway, um... One thing that uh, I, I when I, when I organised to get Rezik on the show was that um, the European Super League was sort of like we touched on before. It's sort of in the mold of an American style format where there's like it's a cl- it's a closed shop. Uh, teams uh, don't get um, 
kicked out. Uh, they're sort of locked in place. But and this is the case in America uh, with the t- leagues like the NBA and the NFL, where it's uh, thirty. 30 teams in the NBA, resident? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, 30 to 32 teams in, in the competition, and they stay in the competition, but it is a far more level playing field, and money is shared around equally. And now, why, Resi, I would ask, would this not work in a way that the NBA or the NFL would work? I think it's a really poor example, and the reason it's being brought up is because obviously all the U.S. sporting outlets, like the ESPN, are com- uh, reporting on this now. You know, because they're trying. Yeah, because and everyone, and, and then people on Bleach report on Instagram and be like, "Can you explain this in NBA terms?" Yeah, exactly, like and, and they're using leagues like the NBA and the NFL as a comparison, but it's a really poor comparison because those leagues, for a couple reasons, like the draft process operate on pretty fairly, like, socialist principles. So, like, if a team's bad and finishes at the bottom of a table, like in the NBA or the league, then they're more likely to get a higher draft pick for the next season. And ideally, then those teams that do poorly get a higher draft pick. Then they can compete with the better teams. Whereas there'd be no draft process in this. Yeah. Like, how would it, how would transfers work in the Super League? Would you still be able to leave West Ham in England and go join the Super League? And, like, if you're not allowed to play for your country if you join the Super League, would there be players who are really good that stay at West Ham because they want to play for England, for example? And then also there's the financial aspects of, like, the NBA and the NFL, which make them pretty socialist compared to uh, football because, like, for example, you've got a salary cap in the NBA, and I still don't understand how fair play works in football. Like, soccer, I cannot explain it, especially after the whole PSG Drama man, with and the man, the man City thing. I've and got Chelsea, like they yeah. led, like I know the term fair play, but I could not explain what it means. Whereas like the NBA has say a really simple concept of a salary cap. So say every team can have a maximum salary of hundred million, but if a team a team's allowed to go over that hundred million per year, right? Per year. Yeah. So a team's allowed to go over that salary. However, there's uh, sort of uh, they have to pay up if they do it. So, for example, if a team wants to pay $110 million for their team that year, they have to give the amount they go over, so that $10 million, to the league. So they go $10 million over, they have to pay their players that additional $10 million, but then they have to give $10 million to the league that then distributes it evenly to the teams that stayed under the salary cap to keep teams like Memphis and these small markets competitive. competitive. Yeah. Whereas the Super League, because there's no draft, it's not the same. It's not the same. Yeah. Mm. There was actually rumour um, uh, in an article I read, uh, which was uh, written, leaked Super League plans reveal goal of US star football finances, yeah. uh, where it says, this is where I got the information about how, like, firstly, the broadcasting revenue would be shared, which doesn't seem anywhere near as socialist as American um, designs. But it, it said that there would be some level of like a cap on like uh, amount teams would be able to pay their players. But then again, this is like a really weird oversight because if the teams, all the teams were staying in their respective leagues, then that would be clashing with the respective domestic leagues rules about how much you could pay players. So it would just, it would just wouldn't work. So this is why I think what I, it seems like something that was rushed but then it wasn't rushed because it, it was like the leaks came out about it in 2018 so they've been planning it for three years yeah. 
So I just, I just, I, it just, it was just really weird the whole thing from start to finish. No, it's a good way to describe it. It, it was weird. Yeah. yeah, it was, it was weird that these clubs, regardless if we just, I thought it was a troll at first. Like, that's what I mean. That's why those tweets from Perez, it's like, we'll make our own Man City. Yeah. I was like, that's realistic in this environment. <laughs> but going back, there's one thing I wanted to raise that you mentioned the Stanford Bridge stuff that happened and like the grassroots activism and public outrage that occurred as a result of this announcement, right? And every news outlet, every pundit, players, players of the teams that were going to be in it, like Liverpool players... There was a massive response, and you mentioned that Chelsea fans were out the front of Stamford Bridge blocking traffic, and didn't, like, Liverpool fans go to the Leeds game, and even though they weren't allowed in, they were, like, protesting out the front? Yeah, they threw stuff at um, the Liverpool bus. That's pretty funny. Wait, Leeds fans did? Leeds and Liverpool fans. And Liverpool fans. At the Liverpool bus, yeah. And, and look, you know, this, this morning, when, at least prior to all the clubs in England pulling out, when Man City and Chelsea just pulled out, you know, I think Rio Ferdinand was like, this is a huge win for the activism and the campaigning on behalf of fans. And it's like, you know, I don't know if you saw it, but Patrick Bamford made a statement post-match on oh, the yeah, weekend. We saw this. And yeah. it was like, yeah. wouldn't it be better if our sport and our fans and like the, the footballing fraternity were this outraged and willing to act on issues like racism or even hypothetically like the alleged human rights abuses in Qatar? Like, where was this outrage when... Someone threw a banana at Aubameyang. This, at the this, Spurs this, game. this is a good point, but um, there was a lot of Black Lives Matter protesting with regards to sport when the Black Lives Matter protesting was happening in America, in England as well. So I, I don't think you know it doesn't happen every time something pops up, but for when when there is when there is a, a, like a when there was a global outrage for this type of thing, uh, football fans in the community in England got mm. heavily involved. But yeah, I agree that um, uh, stuff like online abuse and especially stuff like the Qatar uh, human rights abuses, yeah, like the energy is is uh, is galvanized in sort of like for weird reasons. Like the sanctity of f- yeah. footballing culture in England is so precious that I don't know it. It. it but then again, also like white. A lot of white English people are more heavily affected by this than they are by racism. So. And this is the thing, because yeah, it well, impacts that's... their pocket, right? Like, it yeah. impacts their pocket. It's, it's a shit thing to say, but, like, in essence, it is. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think, at least in the time I've, you know, been following sport, you know, I just... I don't think I've ever seen a sport or fan bases get this enraged by oh, something either. to this level. Yeah. And that's basketball, soccer, even, like, AFL. I can't think of anything that's had this level of outrage in any sporting code I think, for 20 years. I, I think on the Patrick Bamford comments, like the, the tradition of racism in Europe is, is probably just as long as the, probably longer, definitely longer, than, than, the, than the tradition of, um, than, than, the, than the tradition of this football pyramid. So that's why it's probably not, not, yeah. not quite as, yeah. yeah. People, people are used to it, essentially. Isn't yeah. Patrick Bamford from, like, a billionaire family, too? Isn't yeah, he's, he's, he's not, I don't know about a billionaire rich. family. He looks no, like but he, he speaks well. Yeah. He's he, very eloquent. No, he, he is from a rich family, and he's had people criticise him for, like, um, having a silver spoon up his ass in the early years of his career and not wanting it much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so like he's been accused of just not wanting it enough. And, yeah. You know, he um, seems to be doing pretty well. But that's, that's being said, that's, what, that's why it's been quite enjoyable this season to watch him sort of science is down mm. he's got like 16 goals in the Premier League this season have you seen the uh, I saw a story on Instagram today about how Leeds in their training do this thing called murder ball have you heard of this no 
where the players play for like 40 minutes without stopping. There's no out of bounds and like multiple players throw up every Oh no, I have heard this. I watched the doco, yeah. And it's like how they stay fit and how they've been able to compete this season in the Premier League. Every single one of them is ripped. Yeah, it's called like murder ball and there's like no out of bounds. If you stop running, you have to like do sprints on the side. Like it's some chaos like training mechanism that their managers created. Mm. But so Bielsa's created that. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. One thing I was gonna say is that uh, the like the sort of this culture about in especially in English football of the pyramid and how like the Premier League has all this money and then they in solidarity payments they pay it down to lower leagues and then also. Uh, teams in lower leagues can earn money by uh, finding gems in the rough their academies and selling them onto teams in high level <laughs> selling them onto uh, higher level teams uh, in uh, for to you know in bigger leagues you know like if you think of um, Ollie Watkins uh, to Aston Villa uh, you think of like even Rob Holding from Arsenal being bought from Bolton. You're joking. Um, you yeah. can compare him to Ollie Watkins. No, no, I'm just saying like teams. <laughs> better. Shut up, man. <laughs> <laughs> Ten times better. Um, <laughs> but like yeah, no, like Bolton's a team <laughs> that like Bolton when he signed was in League One. I'm Where are they sure. now? They're like League Two. Still League One. League I'm pretty one. sure. Right. Like they got re- they went down from the cha- uh, Premier League to the Championship in the late 2000s and I think pretty soon after that they went back down to the Champions League one but then yeah so a team like Bolton we signed Rob Holding for three or four million that's nothing to Arsenal I mean, we, got rorted, but that's a, but that's a, <laughs> we got rorted but that's a but that's a but that's a huge amount to a lower league to a lower league team and this happens a lot yeah. is that uh, championship teams or Premier League teams will spend a decent amount and it happens around Europe as well like um, Leicester spent however much they spent on Riyad Mahrez which wasn't that much for Leicester at the time because they just had their tired billionaire or multi-millionaire owner uh, take them over but for the team that they bought Riyad Mahrez off which was some French League 2 team that was mm. a huge amount of money like it was in the millions of euros totally so like this whole system of um, sort of this whole pyramid system where like uh, it's mutually beneficial for all these teams and like money slowly trickles down was something that was in in essence threatened by the the Super League because once you had all these big 12, 15 founding clubs who have already pretty much set up really big squads, the only way they would improve was to either buy players off already decently good squads mm. from the leagues that didn't make it and then... To, and or they were just um, strengthened by like loans or buys within their own league. You know, players who would not fit one team would fit another team, and it just it would it would just not trickle down to benefit the rest of the footballing world in any way as it would currently. With and also because the Champions League also pays uh, solidarity payments to teams, not to not just to teams who uh, go out of the group stage. Uh, format and go into the Europa League they, they pay solidarity payments to teams who are in the first second third fourth qualifying rounds so yeah it was just it was just like and while in no means am I saying that UEFA is this uh, great charitable organisation because UEFA are just as in it for themselves as they're frauds as, as the teams <laughs> as the teams that are uh, in the Super League and a, a, a point a, a point a friend of mine made a, a couple of days ago was if UEFA had the chance to slap their names on the Super League, they probably would have done. Exactly. And uh, that's, that's the part. It's like, where do we draw the line of like extortion and tradition? 
Yeah. And like even what you described about the UEFA's change in format, I'm like... Oh yeah, it's just to make more money. (laughs) Uh, And yeah, and yeah, so I just think that... Well, I'm glad it's not happened because I think keeping... Especially keeping the Premier League teams in the Premier League is really good for English football on the whole. Um, I don't necessarily think... And I think the Super League will potentially get... Like there's there's talk it will get there's meetings to discuss if it's gonna be disbanded for now but like it'll be back like they'll they're, they're gonna yeah. reformat it make it more approachable it'll it'll either be back or it'll for they'll force UEFA to make significant money allocation changes so that the big teams are way more, way better off which is which is really shit but I at least I hope the one thing it will do is get the American owners out of the four teams that they own in the Premier League. I would love to see Stan Kroenke gone from Arsenal. Why? Because I want want an owner, because we had a Russian guy called Uzmanov who was going to buy the club out, buy the majority of the club out about two years ago, and he didn't. And I want an owner who is an Arsenal fan, because you've seen lots lots of clubs uh, that weren't invited, but also have millionaire, even billionaire owners, have, have these billionaire owners, but... They, their owners are fans of the club, and they yeah. talk to and they talk to the fans and have an understanding with the fans. and And if you, um, you get, I'm not sure if any other of you have read West Ham's statement as to why they're not going up, but like, they have a sense of like what the club has come from, and like what the the the, the fan values are of the club, and that like joining a league like this would just completely yeah. cut all the, like the work and ties with the fans, and how it would just destroy from the inside really like a club that has taken 125 plus years to build from the ground up like that I just feel like I want like and I, I agree that there needs to be money in football to pay the players we want, that we want to watch we can make out you know quality players in this day and age cost money but I would like to have an owner who is at least an Arsenal fan or at least gets the what football means in Europe mm. and the the Cronkies and uh Fenway Sports Group and John Henry at Liverpool and the Glazers and uh, Dan Levy at Tottenham just don't get it. The English Robocop. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I think the issue is that like like even if the Americans leave though, then mm. like, who who are you going to get to come in? They're still going to want to make money out of the football club, yeah. and and it's it's a very specific request to have a, a billionaire who is a fan of Arsenal and you know a fan of Tottenham and then a fan of you know. But, but there was club. one. Yeah, but I don't I don't know. I just feel like there's no guarantee. Yeah, I think that's yeah. the point. And the, and the, the the issue is deeper. The, the the issue is that you need someone like that in order for the club to be run properly. And it's like that. It's very rare to find someone who's going to be that sort of benevolent and listen to the fans and everything. When in essence, it's a business that's been left unchecked for a long time. Yeah. Uh, anyway, one one last thing I want to say before we uh, stop uh, our discussion on this is that my last thing I would like to see the Premier League move to is a Bundesliga sort of format where fans and uh, supporters trust own a 51% majority share in the clubs that they support. I think this would uh, prevent something like this happening again, uh, especially, or not prevent it, but like it would prevent something like this happening without consultation of the fans. And it's the reason why clubs like Dortmund and Bayern didn't join, and even though they were invited, and were completely against it, it's because they obviously know how their fans would react. They have a, have a good relationship with their fans, and knew this was not something that they wanted. And I think it, like, I, don't, I don't know if it's impossible, but I think it would be really good if we could see that in the future that uh, teams with 
every team in the Premier League has a 51% ownership with the fans. I don't think there's any going back. But it's possible, possible though. It's very hard, but it's very hard to reverse that given yeah. that, that they have that, that commanding stake in the company. Like, yeah, why yeah. would they... Yeah, relinquish it. Yeah, yeah. Why, why would they give up that opportunity to try and do deals like this to increase the revenue of the company behind closed doors, just between executives? Yeah, when they because they obviously don't really care about fans. No, they don't. If, if this has proven anything, is that the owners of the clubs that join the Super League do not care one bit about what the supporters want. Anyway, um, moving on. <laughs> After a good chunk of time talking about that, is a story that probably we probably would have led with on any other week, but. It was this wasn't in the other week. Was that uh, Jose Mourinho has been sacked? The chosen one. <laughs> the chosen one. Is that this Tottenham is the first team and that Jose Mourinho has managed where he's not managed to win a, a major a uh, major trophy. Really? Yeah. Because he was sacked a week before they had the opportunity yeah, to, to win, win a, a major trophy. Win a major trophy. <laughs> Why do you think that is? Do you reckon they're just trying to ride that new manager like surge in form? Or? There's a couple. Well, I, the issues with the Jose sacking is that there isn't a true reason or one thing that sticks out. Because you've seen the commentary and it's like, he refused to execute training sessions the way that the club wanted. He had disagreements over players. He had a dis- Apparently he was against the Super League. And apparently that's he was mocking false. players. That's been proven to be false. And, and mocking players. So like, you know, and, and even in that Amazon I'm pretty, documentary. I'm pretty sure the one reason he's been sacked is because their results have been nowhere near where they've been expected to be. Because they're a dead club. <laughs> Kathy Hopkins football blood. Exactly. Um, but anyway, I, yeah, I just think like Tottenham are nowhere near where they would have they would have set Jose a goal of one major trophy in top four and they're seventh or eighth. Yeah. Like But it's an indictment. Do, do, do you think that was do you think that was realistic? Do you think I think so. Mm. What yeah, I suppose Considering where West Ham are, yeah. I absolutely think so. True. I just think it was ridiculous to get rid of Poch. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's, yeah. A, he's a world class manager. I think, I think he, he will be yeah. one of the well, one of the best managers. And you can AC, so, uh, sorry to cut you off there, but I, I think AC that... Um, He's not sorry. <laughs> He's still uh, by now. <laughs> I'm never coming back. Huh? This is a ruthless regime. <laughs> I dead, run it. Dead club, dead podcast. Um, 51%. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah, no, you can see Ava how well Pochettino's doing at um, PSG. PSG and also how bad Tottenham are doing. The, the problems are really coming home to roost at Tottenham that came about from sacking him. Yeah. Like this, like, like it, no, everyone agreed that it, sh- it shouldn't have happened at the time. Yeah. Totally. And you yeah. talk about like assets of clubs as well. Like the players they had under Poch, like, like De- Deli Alley. 100%. And, like they're so much more valuable under Poch. And M- M- Mourinho has thrown a, a bunch of players under the bus again. And now they're pretty, there's so pretty many ways that this went wrong. <laughs> like there, and, and I think Daniel Levy, if anything comes off looking worse than Jose as a result of this because of his recruiting policy like this is his management and he gets rid of Pochettino where everyone agreed he was like one of the best managers in the world God knows why he got rid of him if he thought oh Pochettino fifth when he was sacked yeah and like what Pochettino's potential was only to get runner up in the Champions League like Tottenham had no right to be in that Champions League yeah. to me no uh, they didn't and now you know and now he's fired Jose a week before the EFL is it the EFL Cup, yeah, yeah, and they're playing Man City, and it's like, why? You know, I think the only reason they fired him this way is because of all the controversy around the Super League, and he was trying to hide the the story of Yose under this. 
because he didn't want the publicity that would come if he did it in two, three weeks or at the end of the season. Because they're screwed regardless if Jose leaves because Harry's leaving. Son's going to leave. Like, their club's dead as it has been for... I don't know. I don't know. know. (laughs) Hey, dead facts. Um, (laughs) No, like, and hopefully St. Tottering's Day, if that doesn't happen this season, starts happening frequently from next season. But, yeah, I don't think Son necessarily will leave this season because he's one of those nice guys that, like, I, I think he's pretty happy where he is. He's got buttloads of uh, endorsement deals and he was about at the similar level with Bayer Leverkusen already and he was happy there but mm. Tottenham were a slightly bigger market team but yeah Kane's leaving uh, and also like yeah from a managerial standpoint they've got Ryan Mason who was a who player he's like 29 years he old. was a player at Tottenham up until 2018 and retired when he was 27 because of injuries he's now 29 he's going to be caretaker coach for the remainder of the season he's not going to do shit honestly I don't care if he's like some prodigal genius, like there's no way he's gonna be the manager at the end. Yeah, of I, th- I think that's bizarre. Again, bringing someone in, like sorry, sacking a manager when you don't have a clear replacement. Like, surely you'd prefer to have Mourinho's experience there, even if it's till the end of the season when, when you can find someone else to fill the role. You could argue United did that with Oli there. Yeah, that's true. But then again, Ollie had proven managerial experience. That's worked out in- incredibly well. Yeah, but then also, but like, oh, 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 but this is regardless, regardless of at how, this point in time, yeah, right, right now, regardless, two, of, two how, weeks, regardless, yeah. regardless of how well Ollie did at uh, Mulder and Cardiff, he still had managerial experience. Ryan Mason has been a, 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 some form of a coach at Tottenham in some way, shape, or form for the last two years. And has no managerial experience. Do you think he's caretaker because Daniel Levy knew if he hired anyone like of a worthy level or like someone we you know the fans knew, and it didn't work out, his head yeah, was surely. Yeah, he's hundred percent. That's the only he's, reason he's, he's, he's a fall guy. So he's we can guy. put the fall on this Mason kid. Yeah, yeah. And say, oh, we didn't have the right manager. But I would say, like, we should all answer. What is the worst thing that Jose did at Tottenham? And for me, it is destroying Deli Ali. Because there were, when he scored that goal of the season, you know the one where he like did it off his chest and hit it bottom corner. There was discussion that he was going to like lead England one day, yeah. and um, now he is like considered a troublemaker no, on the outside. No, because already before he joined, yeah. he was having character problems, and I, yeah, I'm not sure if you remember exactly what was happening. But in the po- last Pochettino's last season. I think it's because his fame went to his head or something. His his, his form was dipping on, on the, in the last season of, of Pochettino, and actually, I remember when Mourinho came in, there were, like Deli Ali had a bit like a little bit of a surge when he first came in. Oh yeah, he, he, did, he, he yeah. hit a bit of form, and then he and then he fell off again. So yeah, maybe it's issue with the player, but yeah, I mean Pochettino wanted to bring him to PSG in the, in the last transfer market and wasn't able yeah, to. Yeah, right. But but yeah. What's yeah. the worst thing Mourinho's done? Have you got any ideas? Uh, I think it is think. the public criticism of Gareth Bale and the public oh, shit, criticism of his defensive unit. Yeah. Because Pochettino did just as good, if not oh, better, with this virtually the same, same players, the, virtually the same personnel in defence. He lost Kieran Trippier. That's the only notable defender that he lost. That's true. Because Jan Vertonghen left. Pochettino, you mean? Yeah. yeah. Jan Vertonghen left after Mourinho joined. Yeah. And you could say that Mourinho inherited players that were getting close to 30, uh, so maybe they're on their way out, but like you, you don't drop off that quickly. Like, yeah. I, 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 obviously, the players that they, they had weren't able to in, in implement Mourinho's system. I just don't think he even has a system anymore. Like, a good question is, where does Mourinho go from here? Because it's surely not to a top-flight club. 
Because no, he goes back to being a pundit. He should have stayed being a pundit. Yeah, because he was a great yeah, pundit. He, he, sh- he, sh- he should have never come, come, no. come back out. And, and I think that's why the, the wedding or the relationship between Tottenham and Mourinho was doomed to fail from the start because he went in thinking, I'm better than this club. Yeah. How dare they point the finger at me? Yeah. And Tottenham's going, we just reached a... We just ended up as runners-up in the Champions League, like the best result probably in our history. And yeah. now you've come in and we're, what are they, eighth? Yeah. Or seventh, but yeah. Yeah, so I think that kind of, like, the personality of Mourinho was not suited to, to a Tottenham. No, and also, but like, also, like, yeah, the, the style of football, like, they went, Pochettino played some of the best branding, brand of football in Europe, let alone England. Well, it's showing now. And, they just knocked out Bayern Munich. Yeah, and Mourinho comes in, like, regardless of whether or not he's got results in his past jobs, he plays an extremely negative style of football. It's not that great to watch. Never has been. But... And but then like yeah he's the team that he, Tottenham is the worst personnel wise team he's coached since Porto, and but and, but Porto he was at the peak of his powers or just starting the peak of his powers like twenty years ago yeah it was two thousand two to two thousand four so yeah I just he, he, Mourinho isn't the manager he once was he isn't as sharp in mind tactic as he once was and he inherited and the squad he inherited at Tottenham is is the worst personnel wise he's had in fifteen years so yeah but but. I, I would say as well that Mourinho is is one of the best managers ever. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah, I, mean, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I feel like people people kind of forget, forget how good he was and the things that he did were were incredible. Yeah, I don't think he should. It's just sad that he went to Tottenham and it's just another ruined his legacy. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't, ruin he, he didn't ruin his legacy, but like he started ruining it at, at United and you know, even at the end co- of contributed a bit more. Yeah, exactly. Like he Chelsea. sort of crashes and burns regardless of how good he does in his campaign. Yeah, he never hangs around for more than three years at a club. Yeah, because I think it's his personality. Like he's a PR machine and it is the ch- I am the chosen one. Like yeah. that is not what we consider a, a modern day manager to look like. Yeah. His press conferences are great. Yeah. And this oh, is why I, I he's a little highlight clip last night. <laughs> if, I speak, if I speak, if I speak, I am in trouble. If I speak... <laughs> Mm. But even that, like, what was the recent stuff with him and Ole and, like, talking about his son? Like, that that was pretty weird. <laughs> no, Ole said I wouldn't give um, my son any food for th- for a couple of days if, <laughs> if, if he went down like uh, Son Heung-min did against yeah. United. And then, I don't, what did Marine Jose's, do? Jose's like, I don't know about Ole, but we always feed ki- our kids in our family. Yeah, if we were, in like, Portugal? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Always. <laughs> And then, like, Ollie's, Ollie's son, like, on Instagram was like, at Jose, my dad feeds me. Thank you. Like, it was just so stupid. It's a laughable saga between so ridiculous dumb. people. But, yeah, I think I think he's done. I think he should go back to uh, being a really good pundit because he was a really good pundit. And, like, I don't think if you're Porto, I wouldn't take him. No. And if you're if, if Porto is not going to take him... Porto just made the quarterfinals of the That's what I mean. No like, why... You know, it, it, where's he going to go? Like, if someone like... Surely someone like... I just think he should go back to... I don't think he needs to... He needs to take a lot of time, maybe retire from being a manager and just be a pundit. Mm. Like, there's no shame in that. He's a very good pundit. He was Sky Sports probably most popular pundit for a year. Yeah, yeah and just it. take some time to relax because he obviously gets really worked up. Do you have any yeah. ideas of where he should go, Wilbur? Into punditry, I'd say. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I want, yeah, I want him to relax and enjoy. Himself. I think that this, like, the Mourinho may have been able to pull pull out one last masterclass and win the league cup if he had have not been sacked. But I think this pretty much chalks it up as cities now. Like, there's, I just don't see Tottenham winning with Ryan Mason at the helm. Like, I just don't see it happening. Or they get a little bit of the post sacking form, and then 
Son Bale and Kane just light it up against. Yeah. I mean, City have lost a few games recently. True, but I don't, I, I don't know. You I, don't don't, I don't see it. I don't see it. It'd be pretty funny if they win the EFL Cup and everyone's like, oh, he's a tactical genius. <laughs> <laughs> this is the best <laughs> prospect. You <laughs> give him a contract and yeah. then he signs him on, then he's shocking for two years. But yeah, okay, well, Tottenham's in disarray. Me and Rezik love to see it. You know, Dead we'll, club. We'll, we'll probably love to see it in no a way. No different well. to the last 20 years. And finally, to wrap up, as Rezik, Max, and Rezik's an Arsenal fan, and I'm an Arsenal fan, and Wilbur's an Everton fan, uh, we've got one game this week uh, that only comes around twice a year. Oh, I guess all the games only come around twice a year. Yeah. <laughs> <But> <laughs> twice a season. Twice yeah. a season, yeah. Um, it's Arsenal versus Everton. Uh, at Arsenal? Um, yeah, at Arsenal. So, so just some quick ones. We, Everton haven't beaten Arsenal at home since they played at they won at Highbury in nineteen ninety six. I'm as I'm as old as that record. And we haven't done a a, a league double over them since. Yeah, because you beat us nineteen eighty five. You beat us earlier this season at Goodison. Yeah, so it'll be the first league double in a, in, in a while. Apart from that, do, do you know if Aubameyang's back? I'm not sure if he. I'm not, I, I I don't know. Might if, might be better if he's not. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know if he's been cleared to play. I would doubt it though because I don't. I don't see any photos of him in training yet. Yeah. Uh, Lacazette is probably going to miss this one with a hamstring problem. Uh, Kieran Tierney, as we've touched on before, is out for the season. Rest in peace. <laughs> That's our club. Um, Granite Shaka will probably play again at left back. Uh, so Everton's eighth, Arsenal's ninth. You guys are ahead by three points. I, re- I reckon this is a game where, where Arsenal will, will show up. I feel I feel like their form's been like dipping up and down. Like the game against Slavia Prague, they were like electric. Your immense. form's pretty woeful. You've you've lost. You've drawn your last three games, and you lost the two before that. Yeah, that's the. But they side. played well against Tottenham, though. But they yeah. that's Tottenham. Yeah, th- those are bad luck, bad bad lot like bad draws and losses as well. And they and in the game against Tottenham last week, we were unlucky not to win because basically, Holgate and Keane. <laughs> Gifted them two yeah, goals. Gifted them the ball in the six yard. Well, gifted Harry Kane the ball in the six yard box twice, which is not a good thing to do. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like Arsenal will win this one though. Yeah, I, I, I've got a sneakily good feeling, uh, feeling about it. If because uh, I don't think you guys have that much pace on the wing, so I don't mind Shaka playing left back again because he's done pretty well uh, against teams that didn't have that much pace on the wing uh, recently. Uh, I think that yeah, if we can just have. Mohamed Ani not playing, and then um, I don't really know if Abamyang and Lacazette are both. Out. I guess Nakeda. <laughs> I, I, That's I, why I, Lacazette came up. Yeah, yeah, I don't like. See, Willick Eddie. did the Lacazette celebration. Yeah. <laughs> <Did> Solidarity. <laughs> <laughs> so you talk about you know I've been shitting on Tottenham a bit, but I also am a pretty pessimistic Arsenal supporter. At this oh point, yeah, as like it's everyone. a great time to be one. And like with our one or draw. I was like, look, we played like shit. It was a shit game. I shouldn't have stayed up to watch it. Same. But I nearly threw my computer when Eddie scores in the 90th minute to draw <laughs> with Fulham and he's doing his fucking ring-a-ding-ding celebration. <laughs> I'm like, mate. Champions find a way. Go pick up the fucking ball from the net and let's go win this game. And, and this you see Arteta, like, they're all oh, celebrating. Man. Arteta's like waving his arms. Like, what get a, back what to an embarrassment. Line. If you ever need a snapshot of where Arsenal's been at the last five yeah, years, it's Eddie's celebration at the 90th minute. <laughs> What a joke. But yeah, no, he'll probably start up front if Lacazette's injured unless unless Arteta wants to try Martinelli up there. Did you Martinelli see... played alright. I didn't mind him. What, what, what did you guys think of the uh, the VAR call for their penalty? 
performance better. <sighs> I mean, there, there's contact, but God yeah. damn, he dodges I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I just don't see how... He shouldn't have been in the position. Every time I get annoyed with the AR, I go... Should the player have done that? No, you leave. You shouldn't, as the defender, leave the decision in the hands of VAR. It was a dumb tackle. It wasn't even a tackle. Looks like all the VAR are looking for now is literally a touch, and that, that's literally all it was. Gab, Gabriel stepped on his yeah. foot. It was not even his foot. He steps on like the end of his big toe. Yeah, and he, he, he and could, he jumps he could have two feet in the air. Like, the ball. Yeah. yeah. Look, we had. I was saying this to Jasper earlier. We had seventy percent possession. We made six hundred passes. They made one hundred ninety. We paid yeah. eighteen shots to. And they had three. Three. Does a penalty count as a shot? Yeah. Yeah, great. I, w- I wish I wish Fulham won that game. Me too. <laughs> I'm, I'm so tired. But anyway, yeah, uh, Arsenal Fulham this week. Uh, Arsenal Fulham. Arsenal Everton this week. Score prediction? Uh, I'm going to go 2 1 to us. I think we'll throw it for it as well, especially after last week. Um, I'm going to go 2 0 to Arsenal. Yeah, right. I'm going to go uh, 3 0 to Everton. <laughs> Shut up, man. Because <laughs> uh, then I can't be disappointed. <laughs> Uh, have you guys what, what, what happened to Everton because I haven't followed them compared to where they were at the start of the season like their squad is essentially the same no one's like seriously Inj- injured injuries Who's but, but Dom's been in and out of the Dom's been in and out of the team yeah. Richarlison's hit a pretty bad dip in form where he just can't finish anything Alan and um, Abdullah Dekore haven't really been in, in the team as much as they were in the start of the season and that makes a massive massive difference for our defence yeah, and there's just a little bit of Jerry Mina. <laughs> yeah, Jerry Mina. <laughs> Six foot ten. He had actually been really good despite being. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, I think he's actually definitely. He's better than better than Holgate did. But I, 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 I think the other thing that's come out is we're lacking a bit of quality going forward, and that's sort of been just just had more of an effect than it did earlier in the season. Melbourne Uni, Everton FC. Yeah. <laughs> Which is funny, right? Because like at the start <laughs> of the season, Calvert-Lewin, everyone was like, this guy's going to win Golden Booty. Looks yeah, unstoppable. Yeah, he killed it. Yeah. And now you're saying as an Everton fan that they don't have enough firepower going he doesn't, No, but he doesn't get a lot of service. No, but what, what I'm saying yeah. is the, the, the little bit of like the lack of inquality going forward. Because Calvert-Lewin's mm. good, but... I don't know. He's also missed a, like recently missed some one on ones that like a, your top striker should be scoring. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's that that's the hour mark. Um, I think we're gonna leave it there. Thanks for coming on the show, Rezzy. Always yeah, always we, fun to got, have you. Guys gotta fin- you guys got to finish off on like a funny topic or something. Like review our futsal. Mate, if you listen to the podcast, you know that we usually do. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what's today? Uh, anyway, actually, we will leave you with one funny thing. Um, we were gonna post it in our <laughs> podcast that we were gonna post before this, but. Um, we, we, I didn't end up posting that because of everything that's happened this week. So we're going to include it, uh, now. And it is a little anecdote about Gary Neville. Um, for those of you that in, uh, who did listen to our podcast last week, you might've, Me. uh, <laughs> you might've, uh, watched the movie, the child of the Chicago seven and got to that period in the movie where there, there's an extra that looks like Gary Neville, but this week we've got uh, another Gary it's Neville. Like, it's on the screen for like two seconds. Is this like on Reddit or something? No, we no, just no, watched no, the movie. Oh, you just watched it. <laughs> Listen to the podcast. <laughs> right. <laughs> but anyway, this is Dub Baby. Gary Neville. Uh, yeah, BBC Radio have edited Gary Neville onto the popular track with Dua Lipa and the Baby, uh, Levitating, and this is what it sounds like. What you got me out here doing? Yeah. Might have threw me off, but can't nobody stop the movement. Uh, let's go. Right foot, left foot, devastating. Pop stars, do a leap with the baby. <laughs> yeah, so that's that. Uh, <laughs> 
for those of you who love like Gary Neville like me and Wilbur do I mean he's been somewhat of the people's champion over the past few days so you know definitely he's killed it and uh, we'll wrap up on that thanks for coming on Rezik it's always good to have your quote unquote humour I just inside. I think I made the podcast yeah <laughs> humble as good. ever humble as ever but yeah he has, he has been good maybe we'll have him on again maybe maybe anyway uh, that's it for now see you later